Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. I hear the train a coming, it's rolling around a bend. And I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. I'm stuck in Folsom Prison, and time keeps dragging on. But that train keeps rolling on down to San Antonio. All right, welcome in. This is episode 15 of the Ultimate Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Cade Costley, and that was Folsom Prison Blues by Johnny Cash, The Man in Black, released in 1968. Johnny Cash is one of my all-time favorites. I love that he's this battle-hardened country star, and his rise to fame is uh, one of my favorites. And I'm sure many of you know this story already. If you've seen Walk the Line, it documents this really well. But Johnny Cash is a poor boy from the Midwest that's raised in a really humble family. Uh, When he's 12 years old, he witnesses his brother die. And that death is a pretty horrific death. He was um, basically involved in a table saw incident as a child, and Johnny's there with him when it happens. And after that incident, Johnny is motivated to pick up a guitar and start writing his own music. And he grows up, he goes into the military, he joins the Air Force, and when he comes back from the Air Force, uh, he gets married, and as he's starting to settle down, he wants to be uh, a musical legend. And so he begins going to... Uh, the record label in town and performing songs. And he starts out by performing gospel songs. And that's really not a hit. And when he comes back with a little bit of rock and roll and some soul weeks later, that record label signs him. And he begins touring around the country, um, becomes good friends with Elvis Presley, and, and the rest is kind of history. But his rise to fame is not met without opposition. Um, you know, we all know he struggled with addiction. He was addicted to pills and alcohol and had a lot of troubles there. Um, he was arrested seven different times during his career. Most famously, um, he was arrested one time for picking flowers out of a stranger's garden. Um, as well as in California, him and one of his friends, um, started a fire that ended up burning 500 acres of California forest land. And he was charged with arson. Um, He was found publicly intoxicated several times. And he began to develop this kind of bad boy persona. He was even banned from the Grand Old Opry. Because one night while he was on stage, he began smashing all of the floor lights on the stage. And so they kicked him out and banned him for life. But later in life, he found his cause. And I'm a believer that that cause was really born within this song, Folsom Prison Blues, that was released in 1968. Around that same time, there was a movie that was just released that was entitled Inside the Walls of Folsom Prison. And that movie is what uh, motivated Johnny Cash to write this song. This song went on to be one of Johnny Cash's all-time hits. It even won him a Grammy 
But more than that, this song really became a prison cry for men behind bars all across the country. And for once, these men believed that there was someone on the outside that truly cared about them. And so when the world was kind of turning their nose down on Johnny Cash and when he was getting kind of a bad reputation amongst the musical industry, he turned to those same people that revered him for his music, which were prisoners. And he went on this countrywide prison tour where he played behind bars for prisoners all across the country. And he did these concerts for free in over 30 different prisons across the nation. And this song that we listen to today, Folsom Prison Blues, is actually a live recording that took place when Johnny Cash was in Folsom Prison playing this song for prisoners. And he said that one of the reasons, or two of the reasons really, why he played for prisoners was number one is they were his most enthusiastic crowd. He loved the concert atmosphere in prison because those prisoners really had nothing else um, to do. And so they would go crazy for Johnny Cash when he would come and perform for them. And number two, later in life, in Johnny's life, he was a Christian. And he believed that it was the Christian thing to do to be around the, the hopeless and those who were maybe shunned by society and to perform for them. And this bond between Johnny Cash and prisoners across the country really continued up until the day he died. He became a strong advocate for prison reform and spoke publicly on some of the challenges that our nation was facing with trying to reinstitutionalize some of these prisoners. Um, even met with several presidents to try to implement new law changes or to get some exposure on some of these challenges um, from a national or um, political level. And this man that had pretty much summited the mountain of wealth, right? He had a $60 million net worth close to um, the last years of his life, really dedicated his time to volunteering or doing charity work with prisoners um, that he became really fond for. Uh, would even go as far as visiting some of his local prisons and playing cards uh, with some men that were incarcerated. And the reason that I am the ultimate fan for Johnny Cash is I am captivated by his ability to tell a story in a song. Uh, from a young age, hearing his music, I felt taken away to a foreign place or a dark place in someone's life by the lyrics in his song. And I've always been one to love stories and it seemed like he had the ability to say it um, in a way that would speak to me. As well as his deep baritone voice seemed to be different than any, any other type of music that I was listening to um, out there. Johnny Cash really practiced music up until the day he died. Uh, he died in 2003 from complications uh, from his disease that he suffered with, which was diabetes. And after his death, he is one of two men on this earth that has been inducted into two musical hall of fames. He was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And the only other person to do that is Elvis Presley. Cementing Johnny Cash's legacy into truly being 
a legend. And today, I'm going to be talking a little bit more about another man who I believe is legendary, who I believe summited the mountain of wealth in maybe a different way than you and I would consider wealth today. Um, a man that also speaks in a very low baritone voice, um, someone who loved to play cards and would play cards with men often, as well as um, someone that also suffered from diabetes. And the reason why I selected this song to go with this person is because when I can hear Johnny Cash say, hello, I'm Johnny Cash, in his deep, rugged voice, I can hear this man say to me, hello, kid. And this man that I am talking about today is my grandpa, Gary Hales. And my grandpa has been passed away now for several years, five or six years. And although he is gone, um, his memories and the stories that I have, uh, that I've lived with him, will last a lifetime. And as long as I'm here, I will tell those stories and pass those stories on to my children. And my grandpa's life will not be lost on them. Um, and although he's gone, I can still hear many of his famous sayings that he said often throughout his life. And they've really became a great way to remember um, the man that my grandpa was. And I'm going to share real quickly a couple of my favorite um, of his sayings. The first one is often quoted in a game when a team gets up really big and they're really close to the end of the game. They think they're about to win. My grandpa would always say when the underdog comes back and beats them that they busted out the punch and cookies too soon. Uh, the next one is, I never really knew if it was more of an insult than a compliment, but if you did something well around my grandpa, he would say, man, you're smarter than the average bear. Um, you know, we would get together often and my grandma or my mom would put out these really big feasts and we would have Thanksgiving dinner or we would have a great meal. And when we were doing that, my grandpa typically would say, I wonder what the poor people are doing today. And he, uh, he always had a soft spot in his heart for, uh, you know, those who were maybe less fortunate. Um, he was a great mentor to me in sports. And my last podcast talking about baseball, really, uh, my love for baseball was born um, through my bloodline with my grandpa. He was a phenomenal baseball player. And some of the advice he would give me after games is, hey, you've got to build up a block wall. You know, you got to block out the pressure. You got to block out your teammates that are talking trash or your, your competition that's talking trash. You got to build up a block wall against them. Um, and famously in sports, my grandpa was known to say to uh, someone that was maybe driving him too crazy that it was time to go to Fist City. And what that meant is it was time to duke it out. He was going to throw down with someone. Um, on a cold day, he would say it's colder than a mother-in-law's kiss out here. And uh, that always made us crack up. Um, when he needed something, which wasn't often, he wasn't, you know, very, very talkative. You know, I, I share some of these sayings, but he was honestly pretty humble and quiet. And that's why when he did talk, people listened. And, and honestly, I think that's why we remembered what he said, uh, because he didn't talk um, that much. But when he did need something, he would say, not now, 
but right now. And that was all all uh, passed down through my uh, my mom as well. She would say that. Um, he was a big, big advocate. This is not one of his sayings, but he would say this often. Uh, the power of a penny saved is a penny earned. And certainly this was a man that the only thing he had to his name was the, the pennies that he went out and worked for. Uh, the amount of effort that he put in, the sweat of his back, was how he earned every dollar um, throughout his career. And then lastly, he was a strong advocate for an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Um, he was never in a hurry to do anything. Uh, he always wanted to do it right the first time and take his time doing it to assure that um, he was being cautious in that process. And as I reflect back on some of the memories that I have of my grandpa, some of my favorite stories, uh, some of his sayings, I just wanted to share three quick stories today um, that I love. Some of my all-time favorites of the man that he is and uh, the legacy that he leaves behind. Um, my grandpa had all sorts of jobs. Uh, he did. He owned a business. He was a roofer, really, for the majority of his career. Uh, but he also worked for a couple other organizations along the way. And in one of those uh, jobs, he was down in a manhole one day with his good friend, Sodi. And when he was down there, something happened in that manhole where the uh, oxygen levels were cut off. And uh, they basically began to suffocate. And it got so bad that his friend right next to him, Sodi, passed out because of uh, the loss of oxygen. And being down in a manhole, uh, my grandpa had a decision to make, and he put his friend on his shoulder and climbed out of that manhole and really saved his life. Um, and when he got to the top of that ladder, the exhaustion of climbing out of there with one of his friends on his shoulder made my grandpa pass out as well. So here they laid at the top of the manhole, both passed out, and when they came to, they realized the magnitude uh, of what had happened that day. Uh, another great story comes from... Uh, my grandpa out in Windover. As I mentioned, he was a card-playing son of a gun. He loved cards. He would play with us all the time when we would get together. We'd have all sorts of games that we would play. And uh, on occasion, when his group of guys that he would play cards with couldn't get together, uh, he would go out to Windover. Now, anyone that knows my grandpa knows that he is a stout build. Uh, he's got the, the size of hands that a bear has. Um, he's got these big bear paws for hands, and I think it was because all of those years swinging a hammer on a roof just built him like an ox. Well, one day he was out in Windover, and he loved to play blackjack. And at the card table at blackjack, you've got a couple hand signals that you do. You know, you'll wave over your cards if you're going to stay, and if you want a card, you'll scratch the table. Well, while he was playing this day out in Windover, um, he scratched the table and the dealer skipped over him and dealt the card that my grandpa called for to his own um, cards, to his own hand. And that card would have had my grandpa win his hand. And instead, the dealer flipped his cards over and he beat my grandpa. Well, my grandpa stopped him and said, hey, I scratched the table and you didn't give me a card. And the dealer you know, kind of had a little bit of back and forth with them and said, no, you scratched the table in the wrong spot. You scratched it here and you need to scratch it there. 
And so my grandpa's like, well, we're going to have some trouble. So why don't you call the pit boss over here? So the pit boss came down and heard the story, heard what happened, heard the series of events. And he looked over at my grandpa and looked back at the dealer and said, do you see those hands right there? A man with those size hands can scratch the table wherever he wants. And uh, they kind of settled the issue there, and my grandpa was awarded the hand. And so I, <laughs> I, I had to chuckle at that story because truly this man had bare hands and, uh, you know, bare paws as hands. And uh, so much so that no one was going to mess with them. Um, and then the last story and probably one of the, the more touching stories of my grandpa's life, um, he fell in love with my grandma on the playgrounds. Uh, they both grew up in the same little small town um, on the outskirts of Ogden, and they went to elementary together and really you know, knew each other for most of their lives. And on the playgrounds uh, one day when he was trying to confess his love for my grandma, as young kids sometimes do, he promised my grandma that if they grew up and got married, that he would give her a refrigerator. Uh, because on his home farm, um, they were currently cooling their food in the well behind his house. And although my grandma had a refrigerator at the time and maybe didn't think that that promise was as grand as my grandpa did, um, she eventually down the road married him. And he made good on that promise. Uh, when he passed away there, you know, he had four refrigerators in his possession. Um, and certainly their 63 years of marriage was a beautiful union between two people that I absolutely adore. Real quickly, I want to share a couple qualities that I feel like my grandpa Gary really um, was good at instilling in all of us and that he exemplified through his example. And he was definitely someone whose actions spoke louder than words. Like I said, he wasn't very talkative. But when he would do something, he would give it his all, and we all knew it. And um, from an athletic standpoint, my grandpa was insanely gifted. And uh, the stories that I heard about my grandpa always came from someone else. Um, he was incredibly humble. And that humility was truly one of his greatest qualities. Those three stories that I just told you, I wasn't in that manhole. I didn't go to Windover with him. I wasn't on the playgrounds when he confessed his love to my grandma. But those stories have been told and passed down from years and years and years and generation to generation because of his legacy and because of his humility. He wasn't the one telling me those stories. Those stories came through other mediums. But when I would hear about my grandpa, um, it was from other people. He wasn't one to pound his chest or to bring attention to himself. He's always been extremely humble. And that was one of his truly greatest qualities. His second quality I want to highlight is his supportive nature. He has always been extremely supportive to me. So much so that in his later years of life, when, um, you know, walking out to ball fields and traveling um, to see ball games were, were challenging to him physically, he would still show up. And, uh, you know, the story would typically play out in, in my games. This happened often. You know, I would show up to the ballpark and 
before the game started, my family would kind of roll in and, um, you know, you would walk up to the plate to go hit and you could see beyond the outfield fence that my grandpa's truck was parked somewhere out there with the lights on and him sitting in the cab just doing anything he could um, to watch his grandson play a game of baseball. And I remember those feelings of feeling grateful and feeling like I'm, you know, I'm there to, to perform today because my grandpa was watching and, and uh, how much that meant to me uh, for his support. And not only in athleticism, but anything I chose to do in life, he was there to, to cheer me on. Uh, he was quite the prankster and is one of the reasons why my mom lives for April Fool's because he had instilled that prankster mentality um, in her. But he would often have some scary masks that he would throw on at parties, or he would have some like toy uh, replica mice that he would place around the house just to play tricks on you. And uh, we still laugh at some of those things that he did uh, back in the day. Um, I've already mentioned his strength, but this man was truly the strongest man uh, I've ever known. And I knew him in his 50s and 60s, 70s even. And even at those old ages, he was insanely strong. And uh, I've heard stories of him throwing, you know, bundles of shingles over his shoulder when he was a roofer and walking up ladders. And I didn't realize how significant that was until I recently had to shingle my own house and about died just lifting the dang thing up. But uh, insanely strong. And, of course, he was competitive as well. Whatever it was in life, he gave it his all. Um, and even in his later years when his life itself was a challenge, um, he wasn't someone to give up easily. He wasn't someone to show his defeat. And he really was never defeated. And he lived a, a great life, even though he struggled with a lot of health complications up until the day he died. And um, really fought tooth and nail in anything that he did, playing cards, sports, life itself. Um, he was the ultimate competitor and he was going to give what he was doing his all. All five of those qualities that I just mentioned, humility, supportive, you know, a great sense of humor, a prankster, strength, and his competitive drive definitely sum up the man that I know as my grandpa. But above all of those, um, one of the things that I feel like my grandpa truly emulates is his ability to fight through adversity. And this was definitely someone who was met with challenges, who was met with adversity from a very early age. And just like the earlier example of rising through uh, challenges and finding your true purpose in life, um, I think my grandpa was able to do that. Uh, throughout the course of his journey. And truly those challenging or trying moments helped refine and enlighten the vision within him. And something that was shared with me in my grandpa's passing is this great poem that I think has a lot of similarities to my grandpa's life. And I just wanted to share it in this podcast today to help uh, illustrate that point. And this poem is entitled Good Timber by uh, Douglas Mollock. And uh, I'll read it here real quick. 
the tree that never had to fight for sun and sky and air and light, but stood out in the open plain and always got his share of rain, never became the forest king, but lived and died a shrubby thing. The man who never had to toil to gain and farm his patch of soil, who never had to win his share of sun and sky and light and air, never became a manly man, but lived and died as he began. Good timber does not grow with ease. The stronger the wind, the stronger the trees. The further the sky, the greater the length. The more the storm, the more the strength. By sun and cloud, by rain and snow, in trees and men, good timber grow. Where thickest lies the forest growth, we find the patriarchs of both. And they hold counsel with the stars, whose broken branches show the scars of many winds and much strife. This is the common law of life. I love that poem. And I think that it truly could not be more fitting for Gary. Um, and as I went through his qualities, right, I listed off his strength. And certainly this is a man who had a lot of physical strength. But born deep within him was inner strength, emotional strength, right? Uh, mental toughness, uh, strong spirituality that was formed through his adversity and through the strong winds that he faced throughout his 80-something years of life. And I just want to conclude today's episode with one final story. And um, in death, Gary taught me one final lesson that I was not ready to learn, uh, but it certainly changed my life for the better forever. And um, as you can tell, me and my grandpa's relationship was really close. Um, you know, he was really my main grandpa, my only grandpa for the majority of my life. My, gran my uh, grandpa on my dad's side passed away before I was even born. So he truly was what I had um, as a grandpa. And I looked up to him dearly um, and still consider him to be one of my heroes. Um, and even with all of the lessons that he had taught me, um, I thought that I had a lot of things figured out in life uh, when my grandpa passed away. I had recently graduated college, and it was my goal to work um, as a medical sales rep for um, a company that I had um, high hopes for working for. And so after I graduated, I kind of started to go through the interview process with this company and um, ended up getting the job. And um, it was truly like, I felt like I had hit the big leagues. I had made it to the big leagues by getting this opportunity to work for this company. Um, this is an opportunity that not a lot of people get. And I felt like this company really took a chance on me. I didn't really fit their typical dynamic. Um, they hire a lot of ex-professional athletes to do their jobs. They hire very prominent people within the community. And I was a, you know, a farm city kid that really didn't have much to say for what he had done uh, with the first 20 something years of his life. And so I went to work elated and literally showed up every day, just excited to do my job. 
And I was uh, kind of responsible for sitting inside the operating room when orthopedic procedures would happen. And it was my job to make sure that things ran smoothly um, from an equipment and implant standpoint. And was really captivating, right? I saw some really crazy procedures, some really awesome things happen. I saw kind of behind the curtain as to how the hospital spectrum runs and um, really became good friends or good acquaintances with uh, really prominent uh, surgeons within our community. And along the way, I worked with several men that had been with this company for years. And these men had acquired multi-million dollar estates. Um, they were, you know, renowned for their abilities to establish relationships and really had um, a lot of things made, I thought, um, from uh, a wealth and income standpoint. And in that journey, um, I was working probably 60 to 70 hours a week. And I had to travel all across the state of Utah. I was on call. I also covered trauma procedures. So if someone broke a, a femur bone or a tib-fib bone and they needed a femoral rod or some plates and screws, I was to be there at those cases. And so when the ski resorts opened up in the wintertime and people started having accidents on the hills or car crashes started to happen, my phone was one of the phones that would ring in the middle of the night to go cover those cases. And so because of this, um, at the time I was a young, kind of newly married uh, husband to my wife. And by virtue of me being gone a lot, like I just was not home and was not around or not able to be responsible or really do much um, with my family. And I will never forget I was standing in the operating room one day um, covering a case and my phone rang from my dad and I rejected the call because I was a big boy and I was doing big boy responsibilities and I didn't have time to talk to him. Well, my dad immediately texted me and said, you need to call me right now. And so I excused myself and walked out um, and called my dad. Um, well, little did I know uh, that my grandpa had passed away and uh, that my family was back home facing this challenge um, of his passing. And it was a sombering moment, a moment that really brought me back to reality. And um, I remember calling my employer and excusing myself for the next week so that I could come back home and be with my family and mourn the loss of a man that um, I know as a hero. And it was in that week when I truly realized um, that my life goals and the goals that I was currently setting out to accomplish were not aligned. And that light bulb moment truly happened with the passing of my grandpa. Um, at this time in my life, I considered the most important thing in this world to be wealth and wealth that was accrued through the gain of dollars and cents. And in sitting through my grandpa's funeral and in meeting with my grandpa's friends 
and in hearing of the life that he had built for his family and himself, I realized that my vision of reality was completely tainted and that true wealth is accrued through relationships with your family and your friends and that a life that is the wealthiest life to live is a life that has meaning with your family. And that knowledge really cut me to the core because I knew that if I were to pursue into this dream vocation, that I would have to sever ties with family members and, you know, my kids would suffer the consequences of me being gone a lot. And, you know, my wife would be left to pick up the load while I was away. And in my quest for physical wealth, I would lose the quest for uh, the ultimate wealth, which is with your family and friends. And that really altered my life. Um, that aha light bulb moment really caused me to course correct and to leave that company altogether and to do what I'm doing now, which I feel allows me to accomplish my number one priority, which is to serve and inspire people, communities, and my family. And I feel like I'm able to do that um, by being, a, you know, having a, a much more healthier work-life balance. And how grateful I am um, to my grandpa for teaching me that lesson. Um, he was certainly a man that valued his relationships. He had many friends. Um, his family all revered him. His children looked up to him, um, and he was an example to many. And in his unspoken nature, as he always did, he taught me one last lesson that I am eternally grateful for. And in closing, um, I'm going to wrap a big bow on all of this. Today, I talked a lot about the quest to become a legend, uh, about the qualities of a legend and their ability to overcome adversity, how they can fight through challenges. And in that fight, they can find their true meaning in life and what true wealth truly is. And um, all of these things that I've talked about today have reminded me of another legends quote, one of my favorite legends, which is Babe Ruth when he says that heroes get remembered, but legends never die. And I believe that all of us can be legends and become legendary in our own way. And I hope that these topics today has helped instill within you a desire to become legendary and to refine some things in your life, to fight through your own personal challenges, to discover what your true meaning in life is, and to live a wealthy life to the fullest. And I thank you so much for your time, as I always do. I'm very appreciative to what you give me um, in listening to this, and I hope you have a great week. Thanks. Well, if they freed me from this prison, if that railroad train was mine, I bet I'd move it on a little farther down the line, far from Folsom Prison. That 
Let that lonesome whistle Hold my blues all 